0: Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate.
1: In my article, I quote Les Moonves from CBS as saying that it's not the... Donald Trump might not be good for the country, but he's he's really good for uh, for CBS, and the implication is that the ratings really were helped by Donald Trump. So I think early on in the campaign, he probably got you know a lot more coverage, and he probably got he certainly got a lot more coverage than anyone else because he was interesting and people were talking about him.
0: Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell, here with another podcast about digital media and the people who make it. On the phone with me today is David Mindich, a professor of media studies, journalism, and digital arts at St. Michael's College in Vermont. He's also a former assignment editor for CNN and the author of Just the Facts. How Objectivity Came to Define American Journalism. So the reason I invited you on the podcast is that I read your recent Columbia Journalism Review article about objectivity in the current election season. And in particular, you write about how the media is having sort of an Edward R. Murrow moment in covering the GOP candidate Donald Trump. And first of all, can you just sort of explain what that means?
1: Right. So Edward R. Murrow in 1954 did a half hour broadcast of his See It It Now show, which was a very popular show back in the 50s. And he did a half hour show about Joseph McCarthy. And for most of the show, he used McCarthy's own words against him. But at the end, he offered some warnings about that this is not the time to be complacent. It's not the time to be silent in the face of dangerous speech. And so I'm seeing a similar moment today, what I was calling a Murrow moment among journalists today as they're covering Donald Trump.
0: Okay. And well, before we get too deeply into that, you know, one of the reasons or the themes that you had in in your article was about objectivity and balance. And you've actually written a book about that. And so how has objectivity been traditionally perceived by the American press and, and the public?
1: Objectivity has a bunch of components. One of them, I guess, the most relevant for our discussion is non-partisanship and detachment. So if we read an article in the Wall Street Journal, in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, or any number of top newspapers in the United States, the chances are we wouldn't be able to know with certainty how the reporter voted. And that's one of the things that that journalists today prize and journalists for the last 150 years have prized in their coverage that that you can write to a disparate audience of Democrats Republicans and and way back when Democrats and Whigs and everyone could feel that they got a reasonable account without overt bias of a particular election or a particular political issue so the value, is generally balance and so sometimes balance it gets a little weird, like when we know that one of the two candidates is not telling the truth, or sometimes both of the candidates are not telling the truth. But yet the journalists typically balances one political party's view against another.
0: Okay, so in just sort of in our day-to-day coverage of politics, you know, what what is the strategy that most journalists use and you know, they write or they they report about a particular candidate and then how do they how do they try to inject balance into that story?
1: So typically a candidate makes a claim and that's reported dutifully and then to balance that claim Journalists might get another claim from the other side, and sometimes that doesn 't happen like increasingly now, with the issue of global warming, journalists are not and do not feel that they have to balance it with a another a claim that that global warming doesn 't exist so so balance sometimes becomes altered, for example, in the nineteenth century. Uh, slavery was widely considered in certain sections of the South to be acceptable. And in the northern press... It wasn't really debated until the mid-19th century, and then finally it became part of the debate. Nowadays, we would not try to balance a story about slavery with someone who's pro-slavery, for example. So there's certain views that get into the balance and some that drop out of the balance. So it is it is somewhat fluid in how journalists balance their stories
0: okay, over well, time. Okay, well, let's talk about the, the 2016 campaign here. You know, you wrote mostly about... Donald Trump in your article, and you know, that was the focus of it, and, and the way the press is sort of, uh, it's more recent coverage and how that's, that's changed. How would you describe the way that the press covered Donald Trump up to, say, the, the Republican Convention?
1: Well, so... Early on, I think Trump was such an unusual candidate that journalists of all kinds really were very interested in covering him because he was a point of conversation. He was, he was a novelty. He would say these really outrageous things that, that people would want to report. I mean, the, early on in his campaign, the statement about John McCain not being a war hero because he was captured was really an unusual claim for a mainstream politician to make and that got a lot of press because it was unusual and he was leading in the polls and also people like to report on things that are you know shocking and it was shocking and then, then when he recovered from that or was not affected by that people would report on that as well In my article, I quote Les Moonves from CBS as saying that it's not that Donald Trump might not be good for the country, but he's he's really good for uh, for CBS, and the implication is that the ratings really were helped by Donald Trump. So I think early on in the campaign, he probably got you know, a lot more coverage. And not he probably got, he certainly got a lot more coverage than anyone else, because he was interesting. And people were talking about him. I don't know about you, but I know wherever I go, people are talking about Donald Trump more than anyone else. In politics or outside of politics,
0: yeah, I, I think that, that that's a pretty fair fair claim to say. The the one other podcast episode that we had that was actually about covering the campaign, you know, eventually the conversation sort of dominated uh, about about Trump and how he was running. And you know, at that that episode uh, took place before the convention, it was still in the primaries, and there were still several candidates who who were running against him. You know, the you you hear in the, people criticize the press and the way they sort of handle things early on, and you mentioned Les Moonves and, and CBS, and a lot of the criticism that goes out there is, you know, maybe because you know the way our you know our news uh, environment is the digital environment, the the twenty four hour cable news. There's more interested in more interest in things that generate co- clicks and, and, and generate yes. attention to stories and less, you know, to borrow a phrase, fair and balanced coverage of uh, a particular political race or, or particular candidates. You know, what are your thoughts about that criticism?
1: Well, you know, classically in journalism, there's always been, and, and not only journalism, but media in general, the, the tension between giving someone what they want and giving someone what they need. And we hope, for example, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal is uh, two of the most serious papers in this country. We are glad that they don't just give us the... Uh the circus sideshow pieces of news but they give us something serious to elevate us to make us more informed more intelligent more thoughtful and so you know compared to the national Enquirer, or the new york post the uh, new york times and the wall street journal and other serious papers really do a good job of giving people not only what they want but what they need the problem is is that right now everything is measurable in terms of what people want, and if people are posting lots of things about Donald Trump and tweeting about him and reposting your article about Trump, whether it's negative or positive, then it's very easy to kind of follow that siren call to Trump land. And so In fact, we're seeing it today, even post-Democratic and Republican conventions. We're seeing that for Clinton to make news, oftentimes she needs to talk about Trump. And even before then, Cruz and Rubio and Kasich were really making news only when they were talking about Trump. So – it really was a tsunami of, of news about Trump back in the day.
0: Yeah. And, and you can certainly see the Clinton campaign definitely changing its direction, you know, certainly offering its platform and its ideas, but very much running in, you know, ads that are, you know, about the main issue of this campaign, as everybody seems, you know, as you said that I and I said, the thing that we're all talking about, which is Donald Trump. So he's made himself the center of this conversation. It's sort of a fascinating moment in history, I think. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this sort of plays out over the next couple of months. So, you know, I went to journalism school and I remember a degree of reverence and justly so for for what Edward R. Romero had done and the significance of the actions he took in covering Joseph McCarthy. And the point being is that there was coverage elsewhere about McCarthy, that, but You know, there were these concerns about balance and, you know, well, we're going to present his side and and we're going to we'll we'll present the other side and and sort of let the people, you know, sort of gather their, you know, their opinion and and make sense of it. But but I guess Murrow stepped up and, you know, here you know and explained here is what the the issues are. And here's here at the, you know, in summations, you know, here here what the threats are and this is what we need to be aware of. And, and historically, what I what I remember happened is that they allowed Trump or Trump, <laughs> they allowed McCarthy to to respond uh, in, you know, in his own way. And they played, yep. uh, you know, his message that he recorded in a later episode. And that provided them with the balance uh, from a journalistic sense th- that allowed them to uh, to make that uh, um, uh, that that approach or take that approach to what they were doing. So now, you know. As we come out of the Democratic convention, and uh, also as we come out of the Republican convention, and, and Trump is the is a Republican candidate, the, the the tone and even even maybe before the Republican campaign, the tone has changed um, in the coverage, and journalists have stepped up and sort of, you know, changed the way that they're covering uh, Trump. How, you know, how has that happened?
1: Well, you know, he he's continued to say some outrageous things. And the, and the battle with the Khan family, the Pakistani-born family who had a, a war hero son who died, this Gold Star family, was bizarre. And also just showed that, you know, how far away from the mainstream Donald Trump is. It also was expressed during the time when Donald Trump had said that a judge that was presiding over his case couldn't be objective. This was a judge whose parents were Mexican, but he was American born in the United States. And there's something very fundamentally American about the belief that if no matter where your parents were born, when you're here, you can be, you know, an American, you can be an objective judge, you can be an objective journalist or politician. And your background should not disqualify you for any of those tasks. And so Trump's stated belief that he couldn't, that this judge couldn't be objective because he's Mexican and he wasn't Mexican, his parents were Mexican, really flies in the face of some basic American values. And so when Jake Tapper interviewed him and said, you know, isn't that the definition of racism? He was pushing back pretty hard, but he was also just a widespread belief that, that Trump was really beyond the pale.
0: Now, one of the things that you, you talk about in your column is, is this idea that, in, you know, as you were sort of saying, th- there are certain things that the the public and the media sort of, I don't know what you would call them, standards by which, you know, there, there's a certain sort of behavior in the way you sort of cover it. And you, you sort of break them down. Uh, you quote a journalism historian, Daniel Halen, who sees uh, a world of political discourse as falling into three concentric spheres consensus legitimate conv- controversy and deviance and so something like you know saying that that uh, John McCain is not a hero that this judge is can't rule because he 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 has a hispanic background you know these sort of fall into the deviant section not deviant but deviants from the social norm or the accepted norms And so do you think that that's kind of what's driving this change in the way people are covering Trump?
1: Yes, I think that, you know, to some extent, what we're seeing is that Trump is Trump's views are really, you know, in the context of American politics, really deviant. When he says that the election is going to be rigged, when he says that McCain is not a war hero or that Judge Curiel is not able to to rule fairly, those are views that are really far out of the mainstream. So if you think about typical journalistic article, we're not going to balance a view about slavery with someone who's pro-slavery, or we're not going to balance – a story about murder with someone who's in favor of murder in the same way we really don't feel as journalists compelled to balance a story about a judge with someone who advocates that the judge cannot try something fairly because his his parents were Mexican so these views of Trump are really outside of the mainstream outside of where journalists typically balance so if, if Trump would have would say I want to cut the estate tax which he did a few days ago then you know a journalist could say well let's let's balance that with a view from the Democrats who don't feel that the estate tax should be cut that's a reasonable point of discussion about how high taxes should be or what should the immigration policy be but outside of the mainstream would be a view like for example, that, um, that entire billion-person religion should be barred from entering the country, as Trump did with, um, with Muslims. So some of these views really do fly completely in the face of – against uh, journalistic convention and political convention. So it's easy for journalists – it's easier for journalists to really stop playing the balance game on these views and really push back. In an overt
0: way, so they're in, they're in a much in a much more, I don't know, ethical stance that they're able to say, "Look, this is the greater threat. This is the, you know, this is outside of social norms. We we need to to take this stance, and you know, question the candidate on these these things he said, in order to to you know, to, to get some reckoning out of it, to to either right. get him to change change his opinion, to explain himself, or to, you know, as journalists are supposed to, sort of expose things. And, and I think that's what we're seeing going on.
1: Right. Well, we're seeing you know, a, a very rare front page editorial in The Washington Post that called the Trump candidacy a threat to America. You know, that you wouldn't have seen in any other election cycle, at least in, in our lifetimes.
0: Yeah, uh, certainly, certainly not. So uh, on the other hand, I mean, we, to, because we're journalists and we, we always have to ask the other hand, you know, by comparison, you know, how is, the, how is the the coverage of Hillary Clinton changed or has it changed since, let's say, since the Republican convention?
1: Well, you know, it, it's certainly reasonable to keep asking Hillary Clinton about her email. It's certainly reasonable to ask her about various things that people are concerned about. And it's important to vet Hillary Clinton as as hard as she deserves. But since I wrote my article in Columbia Journalism Review, a few people have said, well, why don't we apply the same standard to Hillary Clinton as we apply to Donald Trump? And my counter- to that is that, in fact, we are. So if Hillary Clinton would be maligning John McCain, she should get all the pushback that Donald Trump got. If she says that a judge of Mexican uh, heritage can't be objective, she should get Tough questions about that, or or that the election's rigged, or or that Obama wasn't born in um, in the United States. I mean, like there are these really outrageous claims that Trump is making, and then there are questions about his just overall understanding about the world around him. This is the comments about the Ukraine, and that the Russians aren't in Ukraine. Or his Joe Scarborough mentioned that uh, someone he knew was asked by Trump a few times during a briefing, like, why can't we use nuclear weapons? I mean, these are these are fundamental issues that, you know, we all care about the safety of ourselves and our children. These are questions that need to be asked of Trump. And if Clinton makes statements like that, uh, we should ask her too. It should be one standard, but but that doesn't mean that Clinton and Trump should be covered equally. In other words, if... I mean certainly email questions about Hillary's emails are important, but they don't rise to the level of you know worrying about whether she's going to come in not understanding the basic fact about nato or or russia or um or uh, nuclear power. You know these are really serious questions that Donald Trump has provoked, not because it's the liberal media or anything nefarious that the media is doing.
0: So what is it you, you hope that uh, journalists learn and, and maybe the public learns from this election?
1: Well, you know, um, certainly journalists are flexing muscles that they haven't flexed in a long time. Journalists have had the luxury of being balanced and balancing dubious truth claims on one side with truth claims on the other. For many years, many generations, we're confronted with a different kind of candidate. I think Trump is different than anyone else who came before him. And because we're confronted with this different kind of candidate, journalists are forced to ask themselves questions about balance versus fairness, how much they should play the role of advocate versus just detached observer and what their role is in a democracy. I mean I think that this is a very important moment, a moment that in 40 years from now journalists will be asked by their grandchildren like what did you do when <laughs> when uh Trump was running for president. And so th- this is a very unusual moment, and it provokes journalists in really interesting ways to think about their profession.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I, um, when I saw your article, I really wanted to, to reach out and get you on because, you know, it, it, it touched on so many things I've been thinking about over the last couple of months about objectivity. And you know, the way we we cover things, you know, I do a podcast about journalism and media, and we try to, mm. you know, as often as we can, ask big questions about how we should be doing our jobs. And this seems to be the big you know a moment when there are a lot of big questions going on. I mean, I think I've been a journalist for thirty years, I'm not, I'm not covering political campaigns, but I have in the past. And, 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 you know, there's a certain comfort in saying, well, I'm detached. I don't, I don't really have a dog in this fight. But, you know, <laughs> it, that's fine for that for that moment. But but in actuality, when it's, you know, it's it's all of us in this this game together and we're all we're all Americans and we're all, you know, have roles to play here. You know, sometimes we need to step up and evaluate what we're doing.
1: Yeah, and that's a that's a great point. And you know, it's interesting because there have been a few Washington Post editors who've advocated over the years that even journalists shouldn't vote. I mean, the journalists are should not participate in any way in the political process, and what we're seeing now i don't know if it's you know marty baron's new editorship of the washington post or it's uh, jeff bezos's ownership the founder of amazon his ownership of the washington post but there's a huge sea change in terms of the role that this newspaper is playing in this election. It's no longer detached observers who won't even vote and certainly not reveal their political party preferences. We're talking about a group of people, an institution, which has weighed in with a front page editorial and other reporting in a very forceful way. So it's interesting for the future of journalism. Like, is there a place for more advocacy in journalism. maybe it's it's a moment that can instruct journalists to ask themselves what their role is in a, uh, an election without someone who's espousing dangerous views.
0: Yeah, I, I was talking to somebody I, uh, I know someone really close and and they they were saying well you know maybe you know Trump will drop by out or, or there'll be no candidate or or they'll invalidate him or something And I'm like, you know in many ways that's kind of sad for democracy. I mean, you know, I think it's almost worse to have one candidate and just uh, Mm -hmm. by, you know, by affirmation that candidate is made president, you know, that we have to do what we can through the entire political process to to, you know, report accurately and, and press the candidates. And certainly after they're elected, continue to press them. I think the post is. You know, weighed into this. It's one of those things. The, the Donald invited them into the to the process by uh, barring a reporter from there, from an event. And suddenly, you know, okay, well, that's how you want to play. That's how we're going to play. It's very fascinating. You know, me being detached again, watching it from the outside. But it's you know, again, this is something that's going to affect all of us, and it's going to be it's going to be an next interesting couple of months left on this campaign.
1: You know the other the other piece. I agree with you, but the uh, the other piece of it is that the danger of just talking about Trump for journalism, as it has been in the last few months, to be dominated by a discussion of Trump is that we're not really talking enough about abortion rights or tax policy or trade policy. It's a really this whole election even post the conventions, is a referendum on Trump's sanity and and whether he's dangerous or not. And, you know, I think we're being cheated by a discussion about, you know, Democratic core principles versus Republican core principles. And if he should drop out, let's say he dropped out tomorrow, we would be woefully uninformed about Hillary Clinton versus, let's say, Paul Ryan, because there are no real fundamental issues that have been discussed, or certainly not to the extent that they should be. So so the prospect of Trump jump, dropping out, I think, reminds us how poor a job that we've all done, both as journalists and as just citizens discussing the election, what a poor job we've all done at really discussing issues. When it when it becomes all about Trump, whether it's negative or positive, then it ceases to, to inform voters about policies. And and policies are
0: important. Yeah, and, and in the end, we shortchange democracy. We don't pick the best candidate. I mean, for the longest time, people have been saying, "Oh, I, you know, pick the, uh, the the lesser of two evils." But now, if you you take the whole process of uh, of political debate out of the out of it and just you know pick this one or that one, I mean, you know, what does that what does that say about our democracy? Right, that like, gets really sad. Well, now I feel sad. <laughs> well, <laughs> well. Anyway, David, thank you for, for talking on, on the podcast. It's been really fascinating. It's a really important issue. Like I said, this is going to be a really uh, fascinating couple of, of months. Uh, where do you Are you got any other articles that you got in the pipe to, that we should look out for?
1: I don't, but I have been thinking about the whole question about the attention to personality and how that how that might shortchange us in terms of policy. But I might need to wait a few more weeks to figure out how that plays out. And, and maybe it'll play out in the debates. I mean, we can hope that the debates will at least touch on policy, if not focus on policy. So I'm, just, I'm keeping my eyes open and teaching a class this fall called Media and American Politics, which may be the most interesting class I've ever taught. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, David. look forward to reading your, your stories in the future. Thank
1: you, and thanks for having me.
0: Next time on It's All Journalism.
1: Because we come from print magazines and have all of that experience, I think that we're doing something a little bit unique and that we, you know, we have our 25 years or 10,000 hours or whatever of becoming experts at producing print magazines. and so. When we looked at doing digital, we we never even considered doing anything but a magazine. I I feel comfortable there. I love them. And it's where my expertise is.
0: In our next episode, I talk to Margaret Brown, founder and publisher of Shelf Media, which publishes three digital-only magazines, including Podster, an online magazine focused on the podcasting world. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, you've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, a down and dirty guide to podcasting on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time you started your podcast? Do you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism? Now you can show your support on our Patreon page. Follow the link at the top of our website and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you can access exclusive content and receive updates about upcoming episodes. Donate a little bit more and we'll send you a cool swag like our It's All Journalism mug or a signed copy of my podcasting book. There are even opportunities for you to submit ideas for future shows or even appear on an episode. Go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the Patreon link to find out more.
1: The Capital Culture Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Nania and Jason Fraley.
0: We have a new podcast called Capital Culture. Each week we go in-depth with chefs like Marcus Samuelson and writers like Bon Appetit's Adam Rappaport.
1: We'll also talk plays with Kathleen Turner, movies with Emma Stone, and music with Smokey Robinson. Not to mention some of your favorite WTOP voices. The Capital Culture Podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcast1.com or at wtop.com. Search Podcast DC. The Target USA podcast with your host, J.J. Green. Russia. Could render a huge harm to this country.
0: North Korea's secret missile. That could touch the whole of the United States. ISIS. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to see an attack. This is J.J. Green. Join me each week for the latest on U.S. and international security on Target USA The Target USA
1: podcast find it on iTunes the podcast one app podcast1.com or at wtop.com search podcast dc